And I'm joined by a very special guest today. Uh, he was the Lord Mayor of Brisbane uh, for about seven years, uh, elected Lord Mayor, re-elected Lord Mayor, and then uh, propelled into state parliament in the most extraordinary fashion. Uh, he had a landslide election win and became Premier of Queensland. I'm talking about the Honourable Campbell Newman. Good to uh, have you on my podcast, Campbell. How are you? George, yeah, thanks for having me. And, mate, uh, uh, it's it's an interesting thing for politicians to talk to ex-politicians. There is life beyond politics, obviously. What have you been doing post-politics? Well, I do three things, George. I um, uh, have uh, a a gig with uh, Sky News Australia, mate, doing political commentary, which I really enjoy, and I appear on a range of programs. I'm involved with a number of technology companies, startups um, in, in the IT area, really innovative companies doing some really amazing stuff, and also I'm an investor in startup technology companies. And then there's my main business, which is Arcana Capital, which is all about uh, investments in commercial property. So we have a fund where uh, we allow uh, people to buy into commercial property, such as petrol stations, industrial properties, um, medical centres and the like, and we essentially look after people's money. We have an Australian Financial Services Licence. We look after about $120 million worth of stuff. And the final thing is a new project I'm working on that's called One Group Holdings, um, but that's in its early stages, so uh, more on that another day. Okay. Well, uh, having your uh, involvement in Sky News obviously means you're keeping your finger on the pulse of what's going on, and no doubt you've got uh, views about what's going on in Queensland. How do you rate the performance of the Palaszczuk government? Uh, Give us highs and no doubt what you will think are the lows. There's been plenty of them, but I want to let you as a former Premier give us an outline of what you think of the state of this current government. Well, let's just uh, park the whole COVID-19 thing first and just look at what was going on or what was not happening prior to COVID-19. Basically, their economic performance has been woeful. This is uh, a state that is full of opportunity and yet we've been held back. Um, Project approvals that have been blown out, uh, red tape and bureaucracy on business, um, uh, odious land clearing and reef uh, supposed reef protection regulations, which are more about uh, buying preference deals with the Greens to that then affect uh, you know, farmers and uh, um, you know, people up and down the Queensland coast. And you bring all that together and we're just not moving forward. We, we had poor economic performance prior to COVID-19 um, and now it's even worse and we might come back to that. We then turn to the state's finances and... Um, They've been very lucky with two things. One, for a period of time, higher coal prices, which have supported the budget, but also very low interest rates. 
which meant the level of borrowings of Queensland had been more affordable. But when I became the Premier, um, my Treasurer and I, Tim Nichols, were warned at the time that the Queensland finances could not take um, or could not sustain a large unexpected shock like an economic downturn. And now we're seeing that with COVID-19. So turning to that, yesterday we heard that state debt within a year will go over $100 billion. Uh, at the same time, these poor and reckless financial managers have employed more public servants They've given them pay rises at a time when the uh, the private sectors, particularly small businesses, being decimated. I mean, it's just a, it's a toxic, it's a toxic, toxic situation. And of course, they really only respond to people in the union movement uh, who pull the strings. And so, you know, we really should talk about some of the things that Queensland needs to see. What are the initiatives that uh, we require to get the state out of the hole it's in? but it's not a pretty picture and they've been very poor performers. Um, just the other bit on COVID-19, I mean, this has been um, a thing that's compounded the problems. And, you know, you've got a group of people in the public sector uh, working for the public sector who are handing out the terrible, tough medicine. Um, and, you know, I acknowledge that the polls say that the border closure is... is uh, popular yeah. but it's not the right thing to do that's and, right yeah it is not the right thing to do and particularly for people north of the sunshine coast it is really i mean well people on the sunshine coast and gold coast have been hurt as well in terms of tourism but i think the further north you go the worse the situation uh, becomes because uh, people in mckay with sundays um yeah, townsville um you know cairns far north queensland i mean it's it's really being smashed and it's all because of this government. And I think that's part of the narrative that the LNP should have been talking about, which is, you know, yes, we need an approach to deal with this terrible pandemic, but we also have to make sure that we pragmatically allow business to continue because ultimately these are livelihoods that are being smashed. Mm. Well, you raised uh, the issue of the finances of the state government being propped up uh, by coal, and yet... This is one of the industries that the state government has sought to attack over and over again. I mean, we've got the example that was drawn out over a long period of time about the Adani Carmichael coal project. And uh, we all know that was approved uh, basically after Labor got an absolute bollocking at the federal election at the last election. Uh, but now it's drawing out again with the... Uh, uh, with the New Ackland mine. Uh, I'm wondering if you've got any commentary on how the state government seems to be not just nobbling any sort of productive industry. You mentioned farming. Certainly they go after fisheries and they definitely go after coal. So why, why do they pursue this sort of anti-industry agenda? Well, I think the, the big problem, and it's a problem, by the way, Across the political divide, sadly, these days. We might come back to that, but there are very few people uh, and essentially none in the Labor Party who have ever been involved in a real business. When you have been a political staffer, a union representative or leader, and then gone into politics, you have absolutely no idea where a dollar comes from, how it's created the blood, sweat and tears of anybody in, in business. Because of that, their mindset is that, well, the money's just there. You know, the money comes. I mean, it's, there's always someone to pay for, for these things. 
So they don't have a sense of urgency. And, you know, we need a sense of urgency right now to get behind good projects that will get the state going. Um, there's also the issue of ideology, where it is a very left-wing government. You've got people like uh, uh, former Deputy Premier Jackie Trad, who is who, who is an absolute left-winger, um, no doubt about it, and he's anti-coal and now um, tries to pretend otherwise. But this is the person that said um, that uh, coal industry workers were going to have to retrain. You know, she'd like us to forget that, but that's what was said, that's what was meant. Um, it's just the most perverse irony that someone who's the state treasurer would think that about the vital export industry that actually allows us to you know, run police services across the state, look after all in our hospitals and educate our kids in the schools. Absolutely. Um, now, you mentioned those sort of non-elected uh, bureaucrats that um, may be pulling a fair few strings at the moment in regards to the Wuhan coronavirus. China flu, as other people call it, um, but uh, uh, you know the um, the chief medical officer here in Queensland, uh, she's been paraded out quite a few times by uh, Premier Palaszczuk. I noted that she had a uh, a big missive in the Sunday Mail uh, a couple of weeks back, where she said something akin to that uh, life is never going to be the same again. And I got quite offended by that. I mean, of course, life is going to be the same. It's just going to be the same with the lingering presence, perhaps, of coronavirus if it doesn't peter out. Um, so we're seeing these extraordinary measures and a sort of a view foisted on people that everything's going to change. And uh, everything has changed writ large down in Victoria. How? Uh, what do you think about this situation down there? It's just, I can't believe... We're seeing in Victoria. As a former Premier, how do you feel about what's going on down there? Well, why don't I just quickly deal with firstly Dr. Young and yeah. the state's handling of the pandemic and move to Victoria? Well, look, I actually don't think they've done it. I don't think they've done a good job. And I think there are so many uh, mistakes, logical inconsistencies, um, bad calls. Um, they should be called out on a lot more. And Dr. Young has uh, been, in one media article, told us that uh, she'd been preparing for a pandemic since uh, the mid-2000s. Well, I would then question why we didn't have all the PPE we needed at the very beginning uh, of April. It should all have been there. Uh, and yet we were then told through back channels that uh, elective surgery had to shut down hospitals because they didn't have enough. Mm -hmm. uh, they then shut down private hospitals for elective surgery. And by the way, many people were in great pain or discomfort uh, for what was deemed to be elective surgery. But those hospitals were closed because we're going to have all these people. And people then had real diseases, real problems, real health issues, couldn't be treated. And guess what? They sent all the, not, they sent all, sent all the nursing staff away, George, and they're all on JobKeeper. And you had empty operating theatres and empty hospitals. Great planning. This is the uh, chief health officer who wouldn't allow a four-plane flyover on Anzac Day, the way through a funeral in your city of Mackay um, with hundreds of people. This is the chief health officer who has also waved through a Black Lives Matter protest in Brisbane, basically saying it was, was okay. But this is the person that's given an exemption for a security contractor to return uh, on a domestic flight to the Sunshine Coast uh, and then travel by themselves 
to Toowoomba when we then found they had COVID-19. I could go on, George. There's been the brutality, the callousness of um, the treatment of people who live in northern New South Wales who have every right to come to the hospitals they always have uh, in Brisbane and the Gold Coast because those are their tertiary hospitals. It's always been the way. They are hospitals paid for by all Australians, not just Queenslanders, and all Australians have every right to go to those hospitals. So I could go on and on about Dr Young and Premier Palaszczuk's approach well, that we, had not been good. Yeah, quite, quite seriously, I mean, we had the situation that's now widely known about the mother that lost the child, uh, one of the twins, um, as a result, likely, uh, of having to go to a hospital in Sydney when she normally went to the closest hospital, which was in Brisbane. So that, that decision cost a life. Right. And I'm going to say that, that uh, of course, you probably need appropriate measures to stop the transmission of a, uh, of a virus. However, our constitution is the rule book, and it does say that there shall be free and unrestricted movement uh, across state borders. Well, George, here's, here's the big thing, too, that's gone on. We were told this was about flattening the curve, about making it manageable. Right. What we seem to have moved to is an unstated elimination strategy. And we're, we're going to talk about Victoria. Um, I know you want yep. to talk about that. But, you know, that's what's happening here in Queensland as well. I mean, you know, it's interesting to note in the last two days, even the ABC, who have been cheerleaders for many of these measures, even the ABC on, I think it was Sunday night, were running a story suggesting uh, that we're going to have to live with COVID-19 until such time as there is effective vaccine. And, of course, there may not be one that's fully effective. That's right. So we're going to have to live with it. So we cannot um, adopt a strategy that is about elimination. I mean, I think Berejiklian, of all the state and territories uh, administrations, is doing the best. I think it's quite pragmatic. They keep... You know, they're keeping the wheels of commerce turning as much as they can and they're about jumping on any hot spot. And that's really the approach that I'd advocate. This idea yeah. that we can be fortress Queensland is a nonsense. But the why don't we turn, turn to Victoria? Well, here, here we see the most extraordinary uh, situation, um, a lockdown longer than anywhere else in the world. Um, and why? Because uh, a Premier uh, and his administration have failed you know, they failed to properly uh, run quarantine. They failed to deal with an outbreak at an abattoir. Uh, interestingly, we know that that was uh, that, that organisation uh, allegedly uh, is a donor or the principals are donors to the Labor Party in Victoria. I don't know if that had anything to do, anything to do with it, but the bottom line is this thing got out of control and then they've imposed these punitive measures. Um, they're, they're, again an absolute demonstration of, you know, illogical uh, and inconsistencies uh, all over the place. I mean, why the curfew? You know, why the, if there's going to be a curfew, why those times? Why can't gyms mowing private, you know, individual contractors go off and do the jobs that they normally do and uh, council workers, why, why can't they work while council workers can? Um mm. Why, why can't you exercise seven kilometres or eight kilometres from your home? You know, why isn't the rule just don't have contact with people when you're out and about? I mean, you, you, you can pick this stuff apart. You've got a chief health officer down there who is not as well qualified in this field as those that are now criticising him and the Premier 
from the medical profession. And the final thing, I, I mean, I could go on, I could go on for half an hour, mate, you don't want that. But the final <laughs> thing is the, the attitude of the police. I mean, the Victorian police are the nation's shame. Yeah. Now, I've said it already in, on, on Sky News. I've said it on Twitter. They are the nation's shame. They allowed a Black Lives Matter uh, protest to occur. They waved that through. They didn't go after the protest leaders. And then they go and arrest a woman in her BJs who's simply posting on Facebook. Dictatorial. Yeah. It's stormtrooper tactics. And I don't mind saying that. It's stormtrooper yeah. tactics. And I, when I was Premier, I got accused of, you know, taking away the civil liberties of criminal motorcycle gangs. There was a huge pile on. Well, mm. frankly, I'm just agog that all oh, this is happening in Victoria and there is an even, even bigger reaction because it is the thin end of the wedge. You know, Victorian police are great at going after normal Australians, their fellow Victorians. They can't go after, they never went after youth gangs in Melbourne. They completely stuffed up and compromised themselves. And I hope people ultimately are criminally charged over the lawyer X affair. Um, you know, th this is a police service that ultimately needs completely new leadership because they are, they have completely and utterly lost the plot. Yeah. Well, I, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, I know you, Campbell, you're a strong supporter of law and order and the police in general, and so am I, but the scenes that we've seen played out uh, almost on a daily basis out of Victoria, it is just so egregious. Uh, it is a breach of, of freedom and liberty that's happening in my own country of the likes I would never thought I would have seen. And you are, you're right to juxtapose those scenes of tens of thousands of people turning up in the streets of Melbourne uh, for a BLM protest and the police basically shrugging their shoulders uh, and yet storming into the home of a uh, of a mother and arresting her, handcuffing her. Georgia just shows that they are totally and utterly political. Yeah. They, are, they have been politicised and um, I think it's the Assistant Commissioner uh, Cornelius uh, mm. had shown that where he uh, was asked to explain why they didn't go after the Black Lives Matter. Um, protest leaders, and he said, well, because they were urging people to social distance, follow the regulations. Well, I thought there was sure. no protest, but it was then pointed out that the lady who they arrested in her PJs had essentially <laughs> followed the same sort of approach, but, you know, she wasn't an approved protest. She wasn't a politically correct protest. So, look, I, I want to make it very clear, by the way, before we leave the subject, that my my eye is directed at the high command of the Victorian police. I'm sure many hard-working men and women in the service in, in Victoria are appalled and really quite angry about what they're being asked to do. Um, and uh, they've got to follow orders and directions. But I, one thing I would urge them to do, if any of them watch this, is actually make their feelings known to their superiors. They, they, uh, they don't have to enjoy what they're doing. They can make their feelings known through the chain of command. They can say, I think this is terrible, this is odious. I'm going to go and do it because you told me to do it, but it's wrong. That's what they should do. And I'd urge that sort of internal, you know, stated dissent, but yep. loyal adherence to the law and their directions, the directions they're given. I, I would agree with that, and I, I would bet my bottom dollar there's many fine police officers in Victoria that are actually doing that, and I would encourage more of them to do it.
we will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to the Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.